Hi there, and welcome to the Skylight Books author reading series. If you'd like to learn more about us and our many upcoming author events, please visit skylightbooks.com, where you can browse our inventory, buy books, and join our Friends with Benefits Club. You can also follow us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Facebook. To speak to a real live bookseller like me, please call 323-660-1175. Thanks for your support, and enjoy. Um, today, of course, we are absolutely delighted to have Kate Schatz and Miriam Kleinstahl, two Skylight absolute favorites. Their books have been massive bestsellers since the moment we've carried them. Uh, they are almost always prominently displayed in the window. Um, the latest is Rad Girls Can, Stories of Bold, Brave, and Brilliant Young Women. Uh, it's the third in the Rad Women series. Um, as I say, a Skylight favorite, consistently one of our bestsellers, and this latest is 50 stories of young women doing incredible things before the age 20. Um, we have a special show for you. There will be guest readers, there will be guest singers, but um, first I'll brag briefly about how Kate Schatz is a feminist writer, activist, and educator. Miriam Kleinstahl is an artist, educator, activist, and illustrator, and this latest book has gotten incredibly well-reviewed. It has been called Powerful, Incredible, Essential, Inspirational, Aspirational, Awesome, Diverse, Unique, Accessible, Energetic, Fresh, Excellent, Engaging, and Utterly Compelling. Let's please give them a warm round of applause. Thank you for that amazing list of adjectives. I might have to write that down. Those were really good. Hi, everybody. Thanks for coming. On a Saturday at 5 o'clock. This is really impressive. This is exciting. Um, my name is Kate. This is Miriam. I think I'm going to sit, even though it feels kind of far away from me, this way I can see you. Hey, Kate. Hi, Miriam. Um, Miriam and I are on tour together. And uh, we, this is our seventh event in like 10 days. Yeah. It's the best one, though. Or it's about to be. Um, okay, so um, this is our new book. Uh, it is the third in the series that we've been doing now for a few years. The first one is Rad American Women A to Z, which tells uh, 26 stories of amazing women from American history with a focus on women of color and women whose stories are not told as often. A is for Angela Davis, Z is for Zora Neale Hurston, and all, all the letters in between. Uh, we follow that up with Rad Women Worldwide, which tells 40 stories of women from 32 different countries. Uh, again, with a focus on women of color, indigenous women, and uh, women who are really well known in their own country or culture, but not as well known outside of that. Uh, and now we have this one. And like our wonderful host said, it focuses on stories about young women and girls. And we really got the idea for this book from um, young people. We do a lot of school visits and assemblies and go to libraries and public schools. And uh, the main suggestion that we get, because young people really like to suggest ideas for our next books. It's very cute. And sometimes they're like kind of ridiculous, like rat dogs or like, <laughs> high, like highly specific things. I wanted to make rat dogs. <laughs> most often was, can you write a book about girls? Or can you write a book about someone my age? And it was a little bit intimidating at first, um, because it's a really different kind of research process. But um, the more we thought about it, the more that we realized that it um, felt like the most logical step for us, and really also the most important. Um, we wrote and researched and illustrated it um, in the year following the election. And it um, was really uh, kind of 
brain and life-saving, I think, and really gave me an immense amount of perspective, um, as well as like motivation and hope. Uh, but I think that when I was feeling like everything was totally insane and like, oh my god, ah, this is like the worst, um, reading the stories of these girls, um, whether they were from hundreds of years ago or right now, um, kept me really focused. Um, and so I'm going to share a couple stories from the book. We have a special guest reader and a special guest performer. And uh, uh, answer some questions. And oh wait, you also get to see art being made. So before I read a story, I'm going to have Miriam talk about her process. And it's going to be on this super swanky flat screen television. <laughs> uh, way, to, way to go, Skylight. That's a nice TV. So uh, Miriam. Hi. Um, all of the illustrations in all of our books are made from just a black piece of paper. Start with a black piece of paper. And, um, and then I make a drawing on it, and this is a drawing of the whole house. And um, E here um, requested that I cut out the whole house tonight, and so I took that request on Thursday, and I'm going to try my best. It looks pretty difficult to do in the time that we're here, but I'm going to try to do it. Um, and that's Hull, H-U-L-L, -L, uh, which was uh, the settlement home started by Jane Addams in the 19th century uh, in the Chicago area. Yeah. Just, just so you know. <laughs> FYI, FYI, many immigrants came from there. Anyway, um, so I'll show you what a, a finished paper cut looks like. This is Anne Frank, who's in our current book. So um, the unique thing about doing this kind of art is it starts as one piece of paper and it still ends up as one piece of paper and it gives it a certain look because um, all the pieces have to be connected. So Anne Frank in real life, her eyebrow didn't go all the way over to her hairline. But if I cut that line out, her whole face would have fallen out and that would have been really bad. Um, so, uh, so you'll see that, that all the pieces are still connected. Um, here's another one of the young Ruby Bridges from our book. Um, again, it's just like one piece of paper still connected. And, um, and I'm going to, you won't hear from me again for a little while, unless I have to say something, I will. But uh, I'm going to come down here and I'm going to use just this X-Acto knife. Um, to cut into the paper and as I'm looking at the drawing that I made um, I make a decision of what parts I want to be white what parts I want to stay black and the parts that I want to be white are the parts that I cut out the blade so you'll that's what you're going to be seeing as Kate's reading you a story good all right is that everything is that everything Lena yeah. Okay. <laughs> Lena's like, explain your process a little bit better. Well, after you've watched her do it for a while, if you have any questions, uh, like I said, we will we'll have some Q and A at the end. Wow. Um, all right. So I'm going to start with um, I'm going to read you two stories. Um, the stories in this book are um, a varying length, so I'm going to read you a shorter story and then a slightly longer one, but. Um, uh, so there's 50 stories in here, and some of them are super ancient, girls from like ancient Mongolia, ancient China, Chinese warrior princess, um, and then we have 19th century, 20th century. We have stories about uh, women who are now adults, uh, but we focus on their childhood or teenage years, and then we have stories about actual literal girls right now in the world. And so um, I'm going to start with one of these, and 
Uh, we're headed to Portland tomorrow. We're doing a reading at Powell's on Monday night, and we're going to be joined by one of the young women in this story. Um, her name's Hazel Van Emerson, and she is one of 21 young people currently suing the federal government um, over their failure to act on climate change. And given that California is pretty much on fire right now, um, I thought this would be a slightly depressing, yet very appropriate one uh, to read. Because these are the people who are trying to do something about it. Uh, the story is about the climate kids. And the lawsuit that they're part of was first filed in the U.S. District Court for the District of Oregon in 2015. There are many ways that young people can help protect and preserve the environment. You can recycle, compost, and conserve water and electricity. Another option? You can sue the federal government. As Hazel Von Emerson, Victoria Barrett, Jamie Butler, and Jane Fontland did. They're among 21 climate activists under age 21 who are plaintiffs in a landmark court case. A plaintiff is an individual who brings a case to court, as opposed to the defendant whom the case is brought against. In this case, the defendant is the President of the United States, and the plaintiff is a group of young people who argue that the U.S. government has actively contributed to climate change. By doing so, the government is violating the constitutional rights of young people. The plaintiffs argue that having a healthy climate is a fundamental liberty for today's children and the children of the future. The plaintiffs range in age from 11 to 21, and they come from all over the United States. They've all witnessed the impact of climate change on their lives in many different ways. Some come from urban areas, like 18-year-old Victoria, whose school shut down after Superstorm Sandy flooded New York City. 17-year-old Jamie lives with her family on a Navajo reservation in Arizona, where a devastating drought has dried up the natural springs that her family has relied on for generations. 14-year-old Jaden, who's from Louisiana, has already experienced two floods in her home, caused in part by rising sea levels along the Gulf Coast. The plaintiffs don't argue the case in front of the judges. They have grown up lawyers who do that. Their job is to tell their personal stories of how climate change impacts them. They attend many of the court as many of the court hearings as possible, and they also act as spokespeople for this important lawsuit. In the process, they get to learn a great deal about law, government, the judicial process, the science behind climate change, and what it means to be a climate activist. 13-year-old Hazel joined the lawsuit because she's concerned about climate change and wants to show that young people, quote, aren't just playing video games on the couch. Her friends think it's cool that she's part of this big lawsuit. And, she says, no matter what happens with the suit, whether they win or lose, she knows she'll be fighting to protect our planet for the rest of her life. And that's the story of, the, of this lawsuit. And the lawsuit is um, really filed by an organization called Our Children's Trust. And I've been following the case as it progresses. They just had a really big hearing um, this past week. And, and shocking surprise, the Trump administration, the Justice Department is actively trying to just get the case dismissed. And they filed a motion to dismiss last week, um, which, but they still went ahead with the hearing on Wednesday. I'm going to get the update hopefully on Monday when we see Hazel uh, in Portland. But uh, they're doing amazing work, and all of the young people involved um, have, are really quite incredible, as are the adults who are putting it together. It's a, a pretty uh, innovative piece of litigation, and uh, it's, it's, it's exciting. All right, so that's that story. Um, because we are in Los Angeles, I thought I would read about an actor. <laughs> Someone who's in the movies. 
uh, and someone who is using her platform um, as a young person in the industry um, to be pretty rad. Um, so this is a story about Amanda Stenberg. And she was born in LA in 1998. Amanda Stenberg was determined to get the part. The movie was based on her favorite books, and she just knew that she could play the character of Rue, the brave young girl in The Hunger Games. She wanted to stand out of her audition, so she put on old clothes, rolled in the dirt in her backyard, and filled her hair with twigs and leaves. She showed up to her audition at the director's house, looking like she'd been living in the woods for weeks, just like Rue's character in the books. And it worked. 11-year-old Amanda got the role, and soon she was on the film set, meeting famous actors like Jennifer Lawrence and getting strapped into harnesses so she could do crazy stunts, just like daring little Rue. When the first Hunger Games movie came out, it was a huge box office success. Amanda won rave reviews for her bold, emotional portrayal of Rue. But not everyone thought that Amanda, who's mixed race with a black mother and a white father, should be playing Rue. Soon she was being attacked on social media by people who didn't think that Rue should be black. Even though the Hunger Games author, Suzanne Collins, specifies that Rue has dark brown skin and eyes, there were a lot of people who just couldn't handle that. They took to Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr, and Facebook to complain. Some people took it far, calling Amanda terrible racist names. It was a harsh introduction to the limelight, and it was also a very personal introduction to racism for her. Amanda had been in the public eye since she got her first gig at age four as a model for a Disney catalog. She'd appeared in commercials, films, and videos throughout her childhood, but The Hunger Games was her biggest role by far, and these nasty fan reactions showed her that no matter what she did, her race would be a factor for her entire career. She didn't let this intimidate her, though. In fact, it motivated her to become a strong and outspoken activist. The next time that Amanda made waves online, it wasn't because of a new movie or a high-profile Hollywood project. It was because of a school project. Amanda and a classmate made a video about black women's hair and cultural appropriation as an assignment for their 10th grade history class. The video is called Don't Cash Crop My Cornrows, and in it, Amanda offers a succinct explanation of cultural appropriation. She explains why it can be problematic when white people, especially celebrities, adopt aspects of black culture but fail to show concern for problems that black communities face. She calls out specific celebrities who've emulated hip-hop culture and then remain silent during times of crisis. And she asks the question, what if America loved black people as much as black culture? In addition to presenting the video in her class, Amanda and her friends shared it on Tumblr. Amanda already had a lot of followers there, so her school project video went viral. The response to the video was enormous, and Amanda did a lot of interviews with major media outlets. She talked open about race and racism, as well as gender and sexuality. She got positive feedback from people who were glad to see her using her social media platform to speak on important issues. But once again, she was subject to negative backlash. She wasn't opposed to people disagreeing with her, but she had a hard time with the cruel comments she received. Some people warned that if she kept speaking up about these issues, it might jeopardize her acting career. Amanda had a choice to make. Would she continue speaking on the internet about these things that she used to speak about only with her friends, family, and classmates? Or would she keep those ideas to herself? Amanda decided that if she didn't talk about the things she cared about, she wouldn't be presenting her true self, even though presenting your true self is not always easy. 
She continued to speak about race and identity, including her own gender identity and sexuality, which she describes as fluid. She doesn't always feel like a girl or a boy. And she's written and shared her thoughts on what it means to be a young person exploring these complex concepts. Presenting your true self means taking risks and being willing to be vulnerable. But it also means being honest and true, and potentially inspiring others to do the same. Amanda knows that as a celebrity, she has a built-in platform that she can use to reach many young people who might feel silenced or ashamed about who they are. And while social media can be used in negative ways, it can also create powerful connections. Amanda knows there's a huge amount of pressure on her to always say the right thing or represent the right point of view. She accepts this, and she wants to use it to actually do something. The more she hears from young people who've been inspired and empowered by her words, the more she knows she's doing the right thing. Acting's not Amanda's only artistic outlet. She also sings, plays violin, and directs and edits music videos. She appeared in Beyonce's groundbreaking video project, Lemonade, and in films like Everything, Everything, and the upcoming Hate You Give. She interviewed the feminist icon Gloria Steinem, and she was handpicked by Oprah Winfrey to give a keynote speech for Oprah's Super Soul Sunday. Oh, and she also writes comics. Amanda is the author of the Niobe series, which is the first internationally distributed comic book series to be written by a black woman, illustrated by a black artist, and to feature a black main character, who's a magical teenage elf who looks a lot like Amanda. <laughs> Amanda grew up loving sci-fi and fantasy books like Lord of the Rings, and she always wished for characters who felt more like her. Working on Niobe was a way to make that happen. Amanda is by no means alone in her role as a high-profile young person who uses her platform for positive change. She's part of a generation of people who, as she says, are wicked smart and have grown up with computers in their hands and who are working hard to use those assets in a smart, powerful, and empowering way. And that's our story of Amanda. starring in the upcoming film The Hate You Give, which is based on the young adult novel by Angie Thomas. Highly recommended to everybody in here uh, and to all kids, I'd say maybe over the age of like 11. It's an incredible book. Um, and uh, I'm going to introduce our special guest reader. So speaking of someone who's been in Hollywood for a while, in, in the scene, um, our special guest reader is going to read, I let her, she, I said, just read what you want. So she's going to read a story that I really love in here. Um, because one of the things that we try to do is to uh, shine a light and tell stories of people who are part of really big movements that we're familiar with, but whose story or name we're not as familiar with. Um, so someone from the civil rights movement, who's a name that many of us probably haven't uh, heard, um, but a really crucial part. Um, so Cree Summer is uh, an actor and an entertainer and a voice uh, you, you know her voice if you've ever watched like a cartoon in the past 30 years. You know her voice. She was Penny on Inspector Gadget. I, I hear her on Word Girl. She was on Rugrats, all those great things. You may recognize her as uh, from uh, her role in a little show called A Different World. Uh, and she just got a part in uh, Is that Pamela a secret? Is that a secret? Your upcoming part? She's returning to, going to be back behind the camera for the first time in 25 years, um, and she just got a part on Pamela Adlon's show, and so you're going to see her there. And she's also a total badass mama, and she's brought her rad girls here today, who are super yeah, cool and rad. Yeah. And anyway, this is Cree. She's going to read you guys. This is my daughter, Hero. Hero Peregrine Stormborn, coming to hang out with me. I just wanted to say a couple of things about Kate and Miriam. 
they introduce themselves to me through social media, one of the beautiful things about social mm -hmm. media. And I got hip to rad women worldwide and rad women A to Z, and I shared them with my daughters, who I lovingly call the savages. <laughs> you can see why. And um, they love the books. But I have to say, when I whipped out rad girls can, they really love the books. Because this is about them. As a matter of fact, one of Brave's favorite stories is about a little girl who's five years old. And that, born the same year as my, as my oldest daughter, that just made them feel so connected and also made them feel like they can do anything, which is the best. All right. I chose to read Barbara Rose Johns, born, I want to show Miriam's kick-ass work too. There she is, that's Barbara. Barbara Rose Johns, born in New York, New York in 1935. Well, why don't you do something about it? Those were the words that 16-year-old Barbara Rose John's teacher spoke to her one day in the fall of 1950. Do you want to go find your god money right there? Okay, I'll see her right there. <laughs> well, why don't you do something about it? Those were the words that 16-year-old Barbara Rose John's teacher spoke to her one day in the fall of 1950. Barbara was expressing her frustrations about the terrible conditions of Moton High School her all-black segregated school in Farmville, Virginia. Moton was made to hold 180 students, but 450 were enrolled. Classes were crammed together, and some were even taught in an old school bus. They had no gym, no cafeteria, no science lab, no indoor plumbing, and the all-white school nearby, it had all those things and more, and Barbara was sick of it. Many faculty members and parents have been trying for years to get a new school built, but the all-white school board ignored them. When Barbara heard her teacher's response, she felt ignored too. Do something about it. She couldn't get those words out of her head. And she soon realized that her teacher wasn't ignoring her, she was motivating her to take action. Barbara was a determined young woman who came from a family that valued education and equality. And by winter, Barbara had an idea. The entire student body should go on strike and demand a new school, and she would be the one to make it happen. Barbara began by forming a secret committee of four trusted students with whom she shared her idea. By spring, they formed a larger strike committee of 15 students, each with different ties to student committees. Barbara was the leader, but everyone played an important role. Finally, the day came. The principal received a phone call reporting that two kids were ditching school. The call was a trick to get him off campus. And it worked. Once he'd left, messengers were sent to every classroom telling teachers to bring classes to the auditorium for an emergency assembly. And I quote, there wasn't any fear. I just thought, this is your moment, seize it. Once all 450 students were in the room, the committee stepped forward from behind a curtain. They led everyone in the Pledge of Allegiance, and then Barbara began to speak, rallying the crowd as she argued that they shouldn't accept the conditions of their school. She announced the plan. They would refuse to attend school until they got what they rightfully deserved. They would go on strike. Most students agreed, and many stayed after school to make signs and posters. The students struck got the support of lawyers from the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. 
who were impressed with how well organized they were. Though the school board mostly ignored the students' demands, the lawyers did not. They filed a federal lawsuit, and three years later, it was one of the five cases that became part of the landmark Supreme Court decision, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka. Though Barbara's story isn't as well known as those of Rosa Parks, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., there are many who say that her nonviolent student-led protest helped start the civil rights movement. so many rad girls for so long in your career. That's true. Like Penny from Inspector Gadget is a total badass. Yeah. I mean, she's like, she did everything, right? Yeah. And she had the first all. Apple Watch. She yeah. solved all the mysteries. He was just like, it was the bumbling <laughs> uncle. Yeah. yeah. No, it's, uh, it's like, I totally got Apple Watch from her. That's right. <laughs> she didn't get the credit. Oh, man. <laughs> so yeah, that just, I just kind of put that together. So thank you for being the voice of so many rad girls in our in our pop in our popular culture for so long. Can't wait to see you on TV. Um, all right. So um, one of the things I love about that story of Barbara Rose Johns, um, I mean, I love that you then learned that this actually ended up being part of Brown v. Board, right? And as, and in fact, all of the students. Uh, this is, I'm going to get like kind of legally dorky for a minute, but all of the students from that high school were plaintiffs um, on that case. So there's like, it's like 174 of them were actually named uh, in Brown v. Board um, as plaintiffs. So, um, but it really was her leading that. And I love that detail uh, that's in the story of how she started by going with these four trusted friends and they really like laid this plan and then they brought, they expanded their committee. And of course these stories are quite short. One of my biggest challenges is having to edit a lot of the things out. I, I feel like there's an entire book about her and that student strike waiting to be written. Um, but, but what they really did is they got these 15 other students in their strike committee and they were all students from like different social groups and grades. So they kind of had someone to connect with like the entire student body. So it wasn't all just one click or one group of friends. It was really people from all these different parts of the student body so that they could really build that support. So it's an incredible lesson in like a highly effective strategic grassroots organizing all done by you know a 16 year old. So thank you for choosing that one. Um, so let's check. So Miriam thought it would be really boring for her to cut out a house. I think it's actually super awesome to look at. Can we check in on your progress? Yeah. A lot of cutting. <laughs> wow. Hey, do you want to go to the Whole House Museum when we're in Chicago? Yeah. All right. Great. We're going to do that. Um, all right. So uh, we would love to ask, answer any questions. Um, if anybody has any, you can ask me, you can ask Miriam, you can ask Cree. Oh wait, not the questions yet. Duh, we have a song. I forgot about our song. All right, so one of the very many cool things that happen um, with, with our books is that um, our friend Tarlin wrote a song um, about the first book. So if you don't know um, the first book, Rad American Women A to Z, you're about to learn about all the women who are in the book, because Carolyn uh, Penny Packer Riggs Phenomenal musician. Wrote a song about every person oh, in the book. Carolyn, uh, so, <laughs> you may know her um, from the band The Finches. I love The Finches so much. Uh, the band Bouquet. 
Um, what are your current projects? I do like feminist, um, anarchist, like opera and movement. Oh, All right. Yeah. She's just back from Josh, fresh from Joshua Tree today. It's <laughs> incredible Joshua Tree vibes happening here. And um, fun fact, she was Miriam's student at Berkeley High School long ago. And also, we knew each other in college. So there's many great connections. And she wrote this incredible song. And it is a little bit of a sing-along. So when we get to the sing-along part, we need audience participation. Yeah? <laughs> little friends? Okay? Yes. Great. Ready? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna maybe, I heard this one's a little louder. Okay. Oh my gosh. This is the 90s. It's still very unplugged. Like a stool. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Miriam was my high school teacher. Thanks, Miriam. <laughs> my dad still is like, what's Miss Stahl doing? <laughs> I don't know, text her. <laughs> Miriam's been teaching since she was like like 12. Her dad's like, I don't know, he, looks, he looks at um, planets through big telescopes and he's really smart and he's like a nutty professor and he always looks kind of like this. <laughs> <laughs> All disheveled, but he's, because he's, he's thinking so deep on it. <laughs> 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 invite me to her, um, her, her college graduation. And he left me a message that was seriously 40 minutes. <laughs> 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 Berkeley. Speaking <laughs> of Berkeley, this is a sing-along if you want it. I would like you to the teacher move, like you have to. But I like Bobby's choice. Okay. Super yeah. optional. Super optional. <laughs> if you feel like it, I'll cue you. It'll be call and response. You don't have to remember anything. You don't have to sing in tune. Oh, I also lead a um, protest chorus that's open to anyone. It's like a drop-in protest chorus at Women's Center for Creative Work. The next one's August 12th, if anyone's interested. Um, okay, here we go. This is like a cheat sheet to um, rad American women, A to Z. Okay. A is for Angela, always after justice for all. B is for Billie Jean, breaking boundaries with a tennis ball. C is for Carol, comedian extraordinaire. D is for Dolores, demanding rights for workers fair and square. And X is for E is for Ella, affecting change with civil rights. F is for Flojo, fastest woman in the world. So tight. G is for the Grimka sisters, gutsy abolitionists. H is for Hazel, hell of multi-talented genius. And X is for... And X is for... I is for Isadora, innovating modern dance. J is for Jovita's journalistic excellence. K is for Kate, kicking out the gender norm. L is for Lucy, leading labor rights reform. And X is for... And X is for... 
M is for Maya making monumental sculptures. N is for Nelly news reporting her adventures. Uh, let's see, L M N O is for Odetta. Oh, freedom, spread the word and song. P is for Patty, punk rock poet, playwright, and grandmom. Yeah. And X is for and X is for Q is for Queen Bessie quest across the world and flight R is for Rachel raised ecology to common light S is for Sonia serving justice so supreme T is for Temple taking charge to change the ranching scene and X is for Is for U is for Ursula, upheaving science fiction tropes. V is for Virginia, visionary surgeon bringing hope. W is for Wilma, wise and bold as the first female chief. X is for the women whose stories we will never Y is for Yuri, yeah, she fought for rights of everyone. Z is for Zora, zealous writer, but we've only just begun. We've only just begun. There are only 26 letters in the alphabet. There are millions of red women whom we don't have songs about. Yet, X is for the women whose voices weren't heard. X is for the women whose names we didn't learn. X marks a spot where we stand today. What will you do to make the world rad? Let me hear you say, Stand up for justice. Stand up for justice. Show the world what you can do. Show the world what you can do. Believe in yourself and others. Believe in yourself and others. We can be rad too. We can be rad too. We can be rad. We can be rad. We can be radical. We can be radical. We will be rad to to We will be rad to to uh, I still haven't figured out that timing. <laughs> oh but thank you very much. Thanks, Miriam, for being a great teacher and friend. And thanks, Kate, for being a school here. I loved her reading. I could listen to her voice all day. Oh my gosh, what a great question. The question is, how do I decide?
decide what can be in the story, like what to put in the story and what to take out. Because I mentioned how a hard part is having to decide what goes in the story. That's a great question. And 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 if I gave you the answer, then I would tell you the secret to being a writer. I don't really know the answer. Um, uh, I read the stories out loud when I'm writing them. So the, the first draft of each story is way longer than what you see in the book. It's like three or four times as long. And then I read it out loud, and I start to cut out all the parts that seem extra, like that seem like, like I, if I get kind of bored when I'm reading it out loud, then I know that that's the part that can go. And I try to think about keeping details that are going to be interesting to the reader. And I also think a lot about including facts and details that a lot of different readers can relate to. So even if they don't have a lot in common with the person that the story is about, I try to find things about their lives and details that a lot of readers will be able to relate to so that they can make a connection with the person I'm writing about. But I really do read the stories out loud a lot by myself. If you were watching me, I'd look kind of like a, you know, kind of a little nutty reading to myself with my cats, but that's the process. Excellent question, my friend. Yes? Yeah. Um, so, um, so the question is about the research. So in terms of like finding the people for the books and deciding, it's a lot of online research, but a lot of um, book research too. It, it was different for this book. With the first two books that are more historical, it was a little more like traditional historical research. I have I was a women's studies major back in college. We used to Santa Cruz. We've got some slugs here. Woo. Uh, and um, you know, and and so there is stuff I draw from in terms of like you know women's history books and stuff. But um, I definitely do a lot of online research to find stories. With this new book, because there's a lot of young people, it was a lot more online research, a lot of social media, a lot of Team Vogue, um, and a lot of also just talking to people and you know asking, hey, what are some stories like who do you know of, um, and kind of crowdsourcing the information. Um, in terms of the actual research for the writing, uh, it's a combination of traditional book research. I watch a lot of documentaries. Um, I do use a lot of online sources, um, multiple ones, but I'm always, you know, I'm, I'm pretty thorough with it. But I also got to interview a lot of the people that are in, um, in the new book. So a lot of the young people in the book I was able to um, either Skype with or talk on the phone with and a couple that I was able to interview in person. Um, not all of them. But and a bunch have been coming to our readings, which has been totally amazing. Yeah, so yeah, we are, we have, we're being joined um, in a lot of, somehow it didn't stink up for LA, but we got the amazing free. Um, but yeah, a lot of the young people in the book are joining us um, in our readings. So. Other questions? Yes. Specifically, did you find a lot of things in common between all the girls? Like how they started, like what drove them to start, the fact that they started and then two would you recommend to young girls to grow up in my house in high school? Who's wanting to start and be a part of things? So she's just gathering information from people like myself. Yeah. I, th I think that's that's not just um, I think that's not just this book, but in, in all three books, I think that um, that all the women have like this like persistent drive to do something or had a good idea and made it happen even when 
people told them they couldn't or told them no, it just made them want to do it more. Yeah. So, so it's like this kind of drive to do something. And, and Kate says also in our new book, not everyone succeeds in, in, in the new book, the young people, but it's about like doing the thing and making it happen. Um, yeah, and so I'd say some other things that I that they really have in common um, is that they all had help and, and like worked in community in some way. So no, nobody did it on, all on their own. So I, they, many of them had supportive parents. Many of them also did not have supportive parents, but were able to find support in community with their peers and friends. A lot had supportive teachers um, or other kind of mentors. So that's something I try to emphasize in the stories too, uh, is that none of these girls, at whatever age they did what they did, none of them did it by themselves. Um, and I think um, another thing that a lot of them have in common is um, is education, right? Like, and that's really common throughout all the books. A lot of the women that we write about who are more historical um, were prevented from having an education, were barred from education in some way, and then really, really, really fought for that education and made it happen somehow. Um, so, in terms of advice for young people who want to get involved, um, I mean, I think that one of the best ways you can do it is to try to do it with friends. Um, and I think that. When, when there's so much big, crazy stuff happening in the world, it can seem so big, but you can do some really cool things just in your community with your group of friends, whether it's like having a bake sale or starting a petition or seeing something at your school that you're not happy with and making a club of people who get together and talk to the principal about how to change it. Um, I think some of those are some of the most powerful. Um, you know, and I, I have a little bit in the introduction, I write about my first memory of political activism is when I was in sixth grade and I was really upset about rainforest destruction uh, to like so that like Burger King cows could graze. I went to a slumber party and I told all my friends about it and I was so upset and I told them that we were going to have a march and I made up a chant and we had a literal protest on like a suburban front lawn with like six girls and we chanted for like three minutes and then we just like went inside and had a slumber party. Uh, but, but that was like, you know, I was always kind of trying to share information with friends and get them activated in some way. Um, and the other thing I would say about young people wanting to involve people in activism is if you can make it fun. Um, if you have friends over and you decide you all want to write letters to your local politicians, you know, have snacks, have lemonade, make cookies, and write letters. Like, make it a fun community-based thing so that um, you can be supporting each other and building love and community while you're also taking action against things that make you unhappy. If we can be making ourselves happy and feeling good and creating those connections while we're also expressing our anger and rage, I think that helps sustain us and make us less... Speaking of, midterm elections are coming up. <laughs> you you want to plug your fundraiser, Beth Dickens? Oh, it's not, it's not ready yet. Okay. Okay, so do. Lots of fundraisers. There's some mugs back there you can buy, though, from her fundraiser. Excellent. <laughs> yes, one more question. I have a question. I wanted to know if you could talk a little bit about the back of the book. It's one of my favorite parts where you get to... Oh yeah. Do you some exercises? Yeah, we we like we like stuff in the back. This one has an index. When our publisher was like, "Do would you like an index?" I was like, "Oh my god, that's so cool!" It's index. <laughs> and then um, there's but, pictures of us when we were seven. Yeah. There are pictures of us when we were children, when we were girls. Miriam did on author photos. Um, but in addition to that adorable stuff, um, we do have a lot of resources in the back. Um, there is a list of 50 more rad girls in the back who didn't get full stories necessarily, but we get a little taste about them and learn a bit about them. Um, we also have more information about everybody in the book. So in the back, 
for each person that we write about in the book, there's a little blurb and it's got if they have social media handles or websites, we have that. Or there's recommendations for if there's film to, uh, films to watch about uh, them or books that they've written, um, we recommend that. And then we also do have a section that does actually give kind of some of that advice that I was just talking about. Um, so some advice for um, you know how to make change and how to go after what you want. And the page to write your own story. Oh yeah, that's the one. That's the one. Uh, there's just so much. Oh yeah, so we say there's 50 stories in here and that's a little bit of a sneaky partial truth um, because there's really 49 stories. The 50th story is you. Um, and so we do have a page at the very back where you fill in your own story, you put your name in, you put where you were born, you can create your own illustration of yourself. And um, just, just so you know, you can also gift this to someone. And I, We have someone, remember the woman who gave the book to her wife? And she had like done a, a paper cut of her oh, wife yeah, and then awesome. written her wife's story and then pasted it into the, in one of our other books like as an anniversary gift and then she had us sign it. <laughs> lots of lots of stuff for you to do. I, it, it feels really important to like create a space where people to be able to like interact with the book um, after after you read it. So um, yeah, um, thank you guys so much for coming, and um, thank you always to Skylight for being such a rad bookstore. All of those upcoming events sound amazing. Um, I want to extra plug the book "You Have the Right to Remain Fat." That's by our friend Virgie Tovar, and she sounds like she's going to be here in a few weeks. So come see Virgie; she's super rad, um, and she is hilarious. Um, so um, if you buy a book, you get a free poster. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, featuring Sophie Cruz, who's uh, the youngest activist in the book. Two-sided, so when you go to the ICE building in downtown LA and you hold it up, two-sided. Yeah. And uh, Sophie is uh, one of our youngest immigration rights uh, activists um, who speaks out on behalf of her parents who are undocumented. She's based here in LA. She was the youngest person to speak at the Women's March uh, in DC in 2016 when she was six years old. And she addressed the entire crowd in English and in Spanish. And part of that speech is what's on the poster. So buy a book, get a free poster. We've got some postcards and other cool stuff. And uh, thank you all so much for coming. Thank you so much to Cree. And thank you so much to Karen. You've been listening to the Skylight Books author reading series. Don't forget, you can listen to this and all of our other great podcasts at skylightbooks.com. Thanks again for stopping by, and we hope to see you soon.